Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAFighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of What the Heck here on MMAFighting.com. I am Mike Heck. Thank you, as always, for checking us out each and every week. And man, am I fired up. UFC 254 going down this Saturday in Abu Dhabi. And can I just say, I am loving this idea of coffee in combat here on the East Coast. Prelims on Saturday kickoff at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Main card at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm all in for this. Of course, the main event... Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje for the undisputed lightweight championship of the world. And at least on paper for me, and some of you may disagree with this, I truly believe this is one of the greatest title fights in UFC history. I mean, there's a lot of intrigue here. And if you haven't seen it, go check it on our YouTube page. We talked to a lot of fighters, got their predictions on the fight. And there are a lot of fighters, a lot of people, even friends of mine who are way into MMA or even like casually somewhat into MMA. A lot of people, probably like 90% of people that I've spoken with are predicting the upset. They are predicting that Justin Gaethje will leave Fight Island as the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. Of course, he got Habib Nurmagomedov and he could do what he's done to literally everybody else that he has fought in his career and moved to 29 and 0. Floyd, Mether- Floyd Mayweather-esque in a way because, I mean, if, if you're a boxing fan, every time Floyd Mayweather fought, there's always questions, right? Like, even even when he boxed Conor McGregor, like, I didn't think Conor had any chance. I The fight pretty much played out the way I told everybody it would. But, you know, even with the Conor fight, the build-up to that, Floyd struggles with power punchers. Floyd struggles with self-paws. He's fought boxers, not fighters. Connor could be the guy. He has the belief in himself. And of course, it, it just never happened. We all bought, a lot of people bought into it. We all bought into it. <laughs> and then Floyd did what he did. And the narrative in this fight 
is Habib's never fought a guy with the wrestling pedigree of a Justin Gaethje, who, by the way, his nickname is the highlight for a reason. He could chop you down with those absolutely ferocious leg kicks, and he can knock you stiff. So it really is a fascinating fight that I'm very much looking forward to. We'll be talking a lot about this event on the show. We have throughout the week as well. If you miss Between the Links, our own Jed Mishu took on Aaron Bronstetter. The fight, the card, these two guys had differing opinions on pretty much everything. It's a crazy episode. Highly recommend you go back and get the different takes on that fight and that event. So let's just get right into this thing. Let's run down the lineup and get right at it. Right after this thing. Wrapping us up this week is Casey Kenny takes on Nathaniel Wood this Saturday at UFC 254. He joined us from Abu Dhabi to preview that fight, to talk about some of the predictions that Nathaniel Wood had for the fight, where he goes with the win as he's looking to make it 2-0 on this particular trip to the island. Always great chatting with one of the bright up-and-comers at 135 pounds. Of course, this fight between Kenny and Wood will take place at a catch weight of 140 pounds. Also competing on Saturday, Lauren Murphy makes her what-the-heck debut. She was originally scheduled to face Cynthia Calvillo on this card and a potential title title eliminator belt, excuse me, at 125 pounds. And as you know by now, Calvillo tested positive for COVID-19. So now Lauren is going to face newcomer Lilia Shakarova on the main card. Lucky Lauren will discuss that fight. Jessica Andrade's win over Caitlin Chikagian this past weekend and much more. We'll also be joined by... John Anik. He'll be the lead voice calling the action to preview some of the big storylines heading into Saturday night. He will be here, and I will warn you, the Wi-Fi in his hotel room, not great. Not great, but the audio is fine. And a little over halfway through, we we switched to his phone, and for some reason, it it worked way better. Like, a a, a laptop, high-quality laptop, no good on the Wi-Fi, but a little tiny cell phone, Apparently that works way better, so we're able to figure that out. It's a great chat. I just asked kindly to bear with us, bear with the Wi-Fi issues over there because John Ayak is the man. He'll join us in around 20 minutes or so. But first, let us put a bow on this past weekend's UFC Fight Island 6 event. James Krause is about to join us. And as you know through the history of the show, it's, it's happened a couple of times, it is not often that we get fighters on back-to-back weeks. But... Since his win over Claudio Silva on Saturday, we over at MMA Fighting have been talking about something that stuck out and it stemmed from last week's show and it continued on into Saturday night after the Kraus fight, the win over Claudio Silva. Joaquin Buckley was on this program and he called out James Kraus after the viral KO win over Impa Kasang and I the week prior and he said that the callout stemmed from a DM on Instagram, and he wouldn't reveal what the DM was about. He wanted to maintain bro code and whatnot. And then at Krause's post-fight scrum, our man Jose Youngs asked James about Joaquin Buckley, and good lord, did he go off. And then people thought, you know, it might have stemmed from a fake Joaquin Buckley account. So I was tasked to try and get James's side of the story and kind of crack this case, so to speak. But also... I really enjoy chatting with James Krause, so easy sell for me. So let's kick things off with one of the big winners from this past weekend, the James Krause. 
right, back on the show for the second week in a row. One of the big winners from UFC Fight Island 6. He gave himself a C-minus D-plus for his win over Claudio Silva, which was actually the first legitimate loss of Claudio's career. If we, We're not even going to count the first one because I went back and watched that fight, and that was like the John Jones versus Matt Hamill loss. Yeah. It was a DQ. It was kind of BS, but... uh. James Krause, back on the program. The James Krause, back from Abu Dhabi. Congrats, man. How are you? Thanks. I'm good, man. Good to be uh, good to be home. Really good to be home. I was gonna say because after the win, they're you know they're asking you what do you want next, and you're like I just want to get my ass home. Like get, <laughs> so get yeah, my ass. get the fuck home, man. The <laughs> fucking sleep and everything is just a nightmare there. It's terrible. It's it really is. It's tough to do, man. It's 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 not easy. It's a, it's a it's a different animal. Was it like a little more crazy than you thought it was going to be? Because you're just like, yeah, we're getting in a cage and fight. And you, know, you were pretty nonchalant about it because, I mean, you fought so many times in your career. But was this well, a I different knew, feeling? No, I knew it was going to be uh, – I mean, listen, you can – they were talking to me about the sleep schedule and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't give a fuck what schedule I'm on. Wake me up when I need to fight. Like, I, I, like that stuff doesn't matter, but – it all is the same still right because like you gotta sleep so it's not necessarily when i'm fighting it's just like like i just couldn't sleep you know what i mean it's and i was getting like one and two hours of sunlight a day just little weird things that you wouldn't think are a big player but they are you know like the travel makes the weight cut harder you know because i took on short notice i had a real weight cut this time at 70 which i've never had before uh i cut i had a you know fairly tough cut so uh it's just a different different look different uh whatever man you know what i mean like it's a bunch of bullshit at this point uh it was it was just a little different than normal is all yeah so it's it looks like you're still kind of catching up on those z's a little bit trying to oh, acclimate. Bro, it's, it's it's a nightmare man waking up in the middle of the night wide awake and it's it's tough it really is i mean luckily you had a baby in the house not too long ago right so it's <laughs> it kind of evens out yeah. in a weird way yeah. I mean, you don't want to do that again I- no, my my wife uh, handles him. Uh, you know, she gets up in the middle. And he doesn't really he sleeps through the night now, so it's it's good. But uh, yeah, it, I mean, just the like the, like I said, the sleep, the the food, everything. Like you'd be amazed of like how the rest of your day operates off of your sleep, and you don't know until you mess that up, right? Like so, like I was eating breakfast for dinner, dinner for breakfast. Uh, getting like one or two hours of sunlight a day it's just it's a just different dynamic it's it's weird it's uh it's just not what you're used to so the big question is how are you feeling physically because you're dealing with a knee injury in the fight you said you may have torn something between rounds to mark montoya yeah. were you able to get any answers on the knee at all i got an ultrasound on it yesterday i have an mri here in a couple hours but uh, the ultrasound looked like it's a partial tear of my mco all right so is this better than, better or worse than than you thought uh, I, I don't know. I mean, in the fight, I just, I mean, you seen me, what I said, I mean, he's like, are you fine? Yeah, I'm fine. I mean, like, I just, but he was, I wasn't saying that to show, like, hey, my knees, you know, my knees messed up. He kept telling me to move left to right. And I was just trying to explain to him that I couldn't, you know what I mean? Like it was, I almost fell over a couple of times trying to do it. So I had to like widen my stance out a little bit more, which is why I got kicked so much in that lead leg. Everybody thought my lead leg was the one that's messed up, but it's actually my, my back leg. So uh, but in the first round, those kicks were never even a thing. But because I had to get so lead leg heavy to get weight off my back leg, it made them a thing to where I, you know, it, it was it was it wasn't even hurting me. It was just throwing me off balance whenever I got kicked. It was just different. I had to move a little different than I'm used to. Were you starting to feel it more and more, like oh, maybe yeah. in the third round? Oh yeah, I definitely felt it. I mean, it hurt. It hurt like hell. Uh, 
You know what I mean? Like, this is, I don't know. It's just, it's a factor, but uh, it never was anything crazy to me. You know what I mean? Like, I've been through stuff like that before where you just got to work around it. And, uh, you know, I did. It wasn't a, it was a factor in the fight, but it wasn't like, there was never a point where I was like, oh, should I continue? Like, that never, that's not even a thing to me. So, so like we touched on at the beginning here, you weren't happy with your performance overall. You rated it low, but you, I mean, if, if positivity here, if you beat an undefeated fighter on one leg, so now the time yeah. has passed, few days have gone by. Do you feel any better about it? Well, given the circumstances, I feel good about it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to say I got a pissy performance or anything like that. Given the circumstances, I feel good about what I did. You know, short notice, 13 days notice with a torn knee. I mean, I feel like I did all right. You know, I won. That's all that matters really, but uh given the fight as a whole I, that's where i rated myself you know c minus d plus whatever uh but when you start taking factors into play like the weight cut the short notice the knee i you know i did what i had to do to win that's and i felt like i pissed a shutout. i don't feel like i lost around so uh i feel like i definitely showed that i'm the better fighter um i feel like i nullified his ground game rather easily i think the striking was a huge difference i you know i felt like i won very handily um, you know, I, I, I thought it was 30, 27. These guys were acting like it was a close fight. I didn't see how I didn't feel like I got hit, but two or three times the whole fight, you know, clean anyway. And I was hitting him clean often. So, and that's no, no disrespect to him. That's just how I seen the fight play out as it was happening. It's funny because I, I mean, I do so many of these interviews and a lot of times when fighters have fights coming up, they, they just say things like it just, they say things. I'm going to write this dude out. I'm going to do whatever. But I remembered our conversation like very vividly leading into the fight because it went pretty much exactly the way you said it was going to go. So did anything actually surprise you in the fight outside of the knee? Nope. It went exactly how, how, it, I mean, go back and watch the interview. It went <laughs> no, exactly it was how crazy. I said it was going to. <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm I like, wow, exactly. Gonna... Like literally exactly. Yeah. I said it was, I was gonna stop the I was gonna stop the takedowns if he if he got me down he can't hold me down, uh, got me down one time couldn't hold me down, uh, and I knew the striking would be light years difference and it was. So now that the fight has come and gone, I do want to ask you about something that has gotten the entire MMA fighting team asking questions. Like this has there been a go. thing since Saturday because. Yeah. You got a question at your post-fight scrum from a colleague of mine, Jose Youngs. And the reason that that question was asked was because on last week's show, which you were a part of as well, Joaquin Buckley was on here. And when I asked him what he wanted next before he booked the Jordan Wright fight, he said he wanted to fight you either at 170 or 185. And then he said there was an Instagram DM involved that he didn't want to dive into specifically. So when you were at, yeah, when you were asked about Buckley, I mean, you had a lot to say about this. You called him several yeah. names. There's it's talks. Yeah. And, and there's talks about like potential fake Twitter accounts that actually cause this beef. So how did this rift between no. the two of you start? He messaged me probably five or six weeks ago and asked if he could come train. And I, I pretty much just told him no. I said no. I mean, like, because, listen, he doesn't have – I know people just people just met him from his, his viral video. He's from St. Louis. He's not too far from me. Uh, he's been kicked out of every gym in St. Louis. I've never heard a good word said about him. Uh, he messages me basically saying he doesn't want to train he wants to come spar and i said well, that's, i'm not interested like that's not how it works here like i don't like we don't even spar hard here like what you're looking for is not what we're doing and i and i said like you know you know pretty much no you're not a good fit 
And then he goes on to this thing about how, like, and, he, and he says, I heard, I just heard at lunch today that he said, because of bro code, I can't release the DMs or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, that was, that was the I'll, I'll show them to you. I don't give a <laughs> shit. Like, I told him no. And uh, he got lippy with me and, and said that it's obvious that, that he would do me and my guys dirty or some shit like that. I said, dude, I've been in the UFC longer than you've been fighting, man. Miss me with that shit. If you think I'm scared of you, you better get, get on with yourself, dog, because I, I ain't nobody afraid of you here. I'll tell you that right now. And that was pretty much the extent of it. I don't know why people are making that to be this big deal. He doesn't like me. I don't like him. Cool. Like He asked to come. I said no. He didn't like it. Sorry. Get over it. That's pretty much the extent of it. He said he wants to fight me. Send the contract. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and, and that's the thing. That's, he always does this. He's called out uh, He's called out a bunch of my guys, like, when he was still on the regional scene. He's called out, like, he called out Trey Ogden. He's a fucking middleweight calling out a, a 55er. Like, dude, like, to me, where I come from, that's just kind of a bitch move is all. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I, and, and I'm not making it out. I, listen, I don't want to make this, like, a ongoing feud because it's not. I, I don't really, I don't care about him enough to have an ongoing feud with him. I just don't have a lot of respect for somebody that consistently is calling out somebody smaller than them. I don't see heavyweights calling him out. You know, we're talking about a two weight class difference. You're about a 30 pound difference. Like, why are you calling out a lightweight? And now, now he's, he's, he wants to fight me. Okay. Like at what weight? 70, 85. Like, and I know what he's going to say, we well, fought at 85. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Good. You know what I mean? I fought at 85 one time in my entire career and I will fight him at 85. I don't care, but it's just, it's, I just don't have a lot of respect for somebody that does that. It's a bitch move where I come from. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I pretty much just told you what the DM said. Like, and I'll, I'll screenshot him. I'll send it to you. Well, I don't give a shit. Like there's, there's no bro code. Like it's not even as big of a thing as people say. He wanted to come spar. And I said, Hey, that's not how it works here. You're either on my team or you're not on my team. Uh, you know, so sorry, I'm not what you're looking for. Uh, oh, we'll do you dirty. That I, you know, that's obvious. I beat you and your boys up. I said, dude, miss me with that shit, dog. I've been in the UFC longer than you've been fighting, man. Get on, get on with that. That was pretty much the extent of it. So it sounds like, like, have you talked to him prior to that, or is that like the first time he's reached out to you, and vice versa? No. Like, that was the first time you've ever spoken to him. That was, that was the first time. Yep. But I've never heard a good word about him. He's been kicked out of every gym in St. Louis because all he wants to do is fight his teammates. He's not. I mean, look at it. Look at the pictures. He's fucking training with like four and five people. You know, he's been kicked out of the, the gyms because they don't want him, you know. And I, I see him he was on Ariel's show, and they asked about him training with Tyron Woodley, and he acted like there was nothing. Like, dude, they don't want him there because he's a fucking asshole. That's, you know what I mean? Like, th- like that's what I'm saying. People people uh, talking about me and being a cloud chaser. Dude, I was saying this shit before his stupid kick, you know what I mean? Like, I should say stupid. The kick was beautiful. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm a lot of things that I'm not a hater. The kick was, was an amazing kick. I'm not taking anything away from that. But that doesn't take anything away from the fact that, the, the facts are the facts you know he's getting he's kicked out of all the gyms in st louis like he obviously reaching out to me for a reason i had 35 people on my mat this morning i don't fucking need him you know what i mean like he needs me and not the other way around so now you're telling me my guys need work get out of here man like you called me not the other way get you know get on anyway that's all it was man it wasn't people are making it out to be some long drawn out thing he's just a mildly motherfucker not his own you know what i mean like i've been in this game too long he can miss me with that shit dog i've been doing this for a minute bro Welcome to the UFC, man. I remember what it was like in 2013, too. So it'd be fair to say that if timelines line up correctly, he gets another win yeah. on November 21st, we're, we're doing this thing, or you'd be interested in doing this thing? Sure. I, dude, I mean, I think I've shown by now that there's, I'm not, I'm not dodging fights. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's because I think you're one of the, like, the toughest to match make for just because of your schedule and your coaching and everything you have going on. Like, this seems kind of like a no brainer in a way. Like, if he gets through November 21st, your knee's good to go. We have something here. 
it doesn't sure. happen that often for you. Yeah, no, I'm not fighting. I'm not fighting for the rest of the year. Probably the first part of next year. I mean, I don't, my schedule is not permitting it. But if the schedules line up, dude, I, I mean, I, I'll fight. I guess I'll fight him at 85. I don't I mean he's made 70 before. So like, why don't you tell him to cut to cut the weight? You know what I mean? Like he will. He said he would. Oh, perfect. Even better. <laughs> it's, it's, like it's even better. You know what I mean? Like, I, dude, I would love to. I would love to fight a guy that's got two fights in the UFC. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I remember talking to Kevin Holland before the Darren Stewart fight, and he, he, apparently Joaquin said some things to him that rubbed him the wrong way so badly. He that says he, shit to everybody. He That's wouldn't even saying. tell me. He wouldn't even tell me what he said in an interview setting. He said, you're going to have to talk to me like, you're going to have to call me on the phone and I'll tell you. And Kevin's grandfather actually made a COVID mask with a shadow image of Kevin slapping Joaquin in the face because what he said was that bad. Like, so I'm saying, dude, he's just a mouthy shit. He's got a terrible attitude. I just don't want him in my gym is all. Like, you know what I mean? He took offense to it and said some lippy shit, so I said some lippy shit back. Like, it's not a big deal to me. Like, I don't have, like, a like a hatred towards him. I don't really like the dude, and he don't like me. Okay, cool. Move on, you know? But, yes, if, the, if they uh, – I would love that fight. In any other setting, will I ever fight a guy with two fights in the UFC? Like, sign me up, please. <laughs> sign me up 100%. Please. Please. And he can't make 70, bro. I'm just telling you, he can't make it. I know he can't. If he could make it, he'd be making it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's, he tried to make it on the regional scene. He's missed weight. Like, but I, I'll fight him at 85. I don't care. You know what I mean? And I, it, don't, it does not matter to me. So it can, is what it is. Whatever. Can, can this be fixed? Like, obviously, he's finding success right now. He's on this way of momentum. But th- could this oh, beef dude, get I'm squashed? Person, I'm, not a, I'm not a person that holds on to shit. Uh, so, like, if he uh, – he got lippy with me first. So – if he came to me and, and, and apologized, like, I'm just telling you, what he's looking for is not what I'm offering, though. He's looking for a place where he can go fight somebody in a gym, and that's not my place. Like, go somewhere else, man. Like, I don't, I don't want that on my team. I don't want a negative attitude on my team. I don't want somebody that just talks shit all the time on my team. I don't want guys that are calling out guys two weight classes below him on my team. I don't want that. So if that's what you're bringing to the table, not interested. I don't need him. Like I said, I had 35 people on my mat on a Tuesday at 10 a.m. this morning. You message me, not the other way around. My team's good. So uh, like I said, I'm in a good spot. Like if, if, if you didn't need me, you wouldn't have messaged me. Well, well, we'll transition here. I appreciate you talking about this, but now that the fight is over, the coaching hat is back fully on. And I know we talked about the Megan Anderson fight coming up in December with Amanda Nunes, with Amanda Nunes. But the squad has a a bunch bunch of big fights coming up, right? Yeah, we got uh, Jason Witt October thirty first, uh, November fourteenth. We have Julian Marquez and we have Jeff Molina November twenty eighth. We have Sean Woodson and Gina Mazzani uh, December twelfth. We have Megan Anderson January sixteenth. We have Tim Elliott. And then we have Dawson, Minner, Kroom. I'm sure I'm missing some other people that aren't booked, and I'm sure they will get booked pretty soon. When I mean, Grant's one of those guys that he fights in July. He sees the opportunity because of these short notice things. Like he's like, I'll just fight at 55 because I want a short notice yeah. opportunity. I just want to fight. And that was a long time ago. But he keeps posting that he's ready, he's ready, and nothing has come up. Is he, is he just kind of frustrated at this point? Like, why the hell isn't this happening? Yeah, I mean the UFC is uh, grossly over uh, over rostered right now, so like I don't th- I don't know, and you know, he can't make he can't make weight on short notice even at 55. He's a big dude, so uh, I think he's he's needing a little bit more time than what they're offering. So I think what we're gonna have to do is get ready and just take something on short notice. Uh, you know, at least some notice. It doesn't have to be a full camp, but you know, two, three, four weeks maybe. Uh, but in terms of like ready to fight. 
Yeah, he's ready to fight for sure. The the weight is the weight is all uh, the only thing ever standing in his way on taking a short notice fight. What, what what's what's Julian Marquez's presence like in that gym? Because he's such an interesting cat, such a positive dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is that he's, like for I you mean, guys? In the in the gym, he, uh, in the gym, he's pretty you know straightforward. Like I think I think you know he's got his his instagram personality and then he's got his actual personality you know what i mean he's a little bit more laid back in real life than he is on instagram how excited is wit to just actually have a camp this time and not have to take a flight yeah. on like two days notice that's crazy yeah he's looking really good right now man we're, we're really excited for him to get his first uh, his first ufc win he, he looks great right now so you're ready you're ready to dive into this coaching thing and get right back on track here this is i'm i'm at the gym right now you are you're unbelievable but listen i know you probably got a million interviews to do your phone's blowing up like crazy i appreciate the time as always good stuff no always enjoy chatting with you congratulations on the win short notice king still sits atop of his throne all the best to you with the, these big fights coming up with your squad appreciate the time as always my man there you have it a little more context on the James Krause, Joaquin Buckley story. It's real. There's no fake accounts. And now you know where James is coming from a little bit more. So big thank you to him for talking about it. I'm sure he talked about it a lot and didn't want to talk about it that much, but he did. And congratulations to him on another victory at 170 pounds. We move ahead to one of my absolute favorite people in the business. And before I got the job here at MMAfighting.com, I was grinding away on the freelance scene, covering the sport full-time, making very little money, and one of my roles in this in that venture was working on the video production side of the Anik and Florian podcast, which I enjoyed immensely because John is such a great guy. He's very passionate. He wants things done in a, in a professional way. And I've always appreciated that about him. Of course, he's a Boston guy like myself and does such a great job on these broadcasts. So I figured let's get him on. Let's shoot the breeze and preview this UFC 254 card again. Let me preface this. The Wi-Fi over in Abu Dhabi, as you may have seen in different videos and preview shows we've done, it's not great in general, and oftentimes it gets kind of bad. But the audio, pretty good on this conversation. It does get better. Do not let that discourage you. I'm giving you a heads up, ladies and gentlemen. All right, here he is, the great John Anik. All right, UFC 254 coming up this Saturday in Abu Dhabi. You all know this by now, so we had to get the lead voice calling the action. John Anik back on the show to get us all fired up for this event as if we needed it. John, appreciate the time as always, man. How are you? Always a pleasure to be with you, my brother. And if I had known you were going to be wearing a Red Sox shirt, I probably would have put my Fernando Tatis Jr. player tee away. But my video's not great here on Fight Island, so uh, we'll see how far we get, my man. It's always good to chop it up with you, though. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm wearing this because this was the right around the 16 year anniversary of the comeback where they won the Red Sox won game seven against the Yankees. So I felt, I felt it would be, I guess, apropos to, to wear the shirt while I talk to you today. But I appreciate the time as always back on the island, different schedules this time around with everything adhering to local time over there, as opposed to our broadcast schedule, which you've seen in the past. Has it been, I guess, a little less stressful, a little easier to get some sleep this time around? Strangely, Mike, it's been harder, and I never thought I would say that. It's 6.35 p.m. Abu Dhabi time right now, so it's about 10.30 in the morning on the east coast of the U.S. So the previous two trips to Fight Island, I was sleeping all day and staying up all night. We were hitting the bicycles at 4.30 in the morning just to try to stay up till 7 or 8 
so that we could stay on U.S. time. I think the mistake I made was staying on U.S. time for a couple days, and then I tried to pivot to Abu Dhabi time with a couple of early commitments, and now my clock is all screwed up. But I am not a professional athlete. I am not competing this weekend, so I think I can figure out a way to suck it up for a seven-and-a-half-hour broadcast. But for the athletes, this is a real variable to fight week. Let's not understate that. A lot of them are doing four-hour sleep here, and then they'll get up and do another four-hour session. Not ideal, but uh, other than that, things pretty much are uh, about as good as they could be. So, Yeah, I was talking to Casey Kenny yesterday, who fought two weeks ago on the island. So he was on one time schedule, and now he's fighting on this card on a completely different time schedule. And he likes this way better than he did a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> This certainly is more normal, and I think now that I've hit the middle of the week and I am firmly entrenched on this time zone, maybe it'll be a little bit easier, but what happens is you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and your body maybe thinks it's a nap, and so you wake up 3 a.m. ready to go for your day when really you're supposed to shut it down for another few hours. But great fighter meetings with all the athletes today, and uh, this feels like a big one, not just here, but I think when you start to track things on social media, uh, seems to be a groundswell of support for this pay-per-view i think we're going to do a big number anybody in the fighter meetings stick out to you outside of like the obvious ones any newcomers any sort of up-and-comers where you're like man this is a this is a pretty cool cat right here it's could this guy could guy or gal could be a little something something they can string a couple wins together I mean, I could go on all day, but I'll try to do this in an efficient way. For me, this was the first time I had sat down with Walt Harris since the passing of his daughter. So it was great to see him and see the place that he is in now and and just to see how much good he's been able to do for other people uh, who have really sort of been brought up and inspired by his ability to continue his life in the face of, of every parent's worst nightmare. But I got to tell you, the, the woman who stole the show today was 23-year-old Miranda Maverick, born in 1997. Uh, her story isn't all that well documented, but I think a lot of insiders know that she was to make her UFC debut several months ago and had a, a retinal issue that uh, was flagged on her UFC medical. Thankfully, she was able to have a surgery, clean bill of health. She is ready to go. And what a thoughtful young woman getting her PhD at Old Dominion while also training right now. She's actually working as a teacher assistant doing Zoom classes in the middle of her effing weight cut. So I'm excited to <laughs> see Miranda Maverick. Obviously a great test in front of her. In, in the Georgian Liana Jojua. So, uh, but Miranda certainly impressed the room today for sure. Before we get into the card itself, I checked out the the Fight Island Declassified series on ESPN Plus, and it's a great documentary. If you guys haven't seen it yet, Rory Carf just knocked out of the park, and you were obviously a, a big storyline in that, John, because of a, a false positive COVID test, and you weren't even sure if you're going to be able to call UFC 251. So, that, I mean, that was just wild to watch, man. Like, did you get a chance to go back and, and watch the doc and relive those moments and that week in general? Well, a lot of people sent me clips. I haven't admittedly ingested the entire four-part documentary, but you can be sure that, you know, that part of me in a robe with Paul Felder, I got texted that a few times. But certainly it was a trying experience for me, the thought of not being able to work the pay-per-view and, and sort of putting the rest of the broadcast team in a really compromising situation was not at all ideal. And I think anyone who knows the inner workings of our show and our live production nature knows that we do put a lot of stuff on tape. We voice stuff. We get way ahead of the process. 
So it would have been hard for a backup, for lack of a better way to put it, to make the pivot and call that pay-per-view. But yeah, I test negative in Vegas. I get on an airplane to Abu Dhabi and immediately test positive. And you think you're staring at a mandatory 14-day medical quarantine up on the fifth floor. Uh, it was obviously not ideal, but thankfully I was able to turn around three quick negatives. And uh, I know they leaned into that a little bit on the documentary. Uh, people who listened to our podcast certainly knew about my false positive, but I've obviously heard from a lot of people in the MMA space that that had no idea I was dealing with that until they watched Declassified. So we are just, as you say so eloquently, a couple of sleeps away from UFC 254. Ah. Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje for the undisputed lightweight title. And the fight is just so good that it doesn't need a, a lot of additional salesmanship from our part since it seems to be trending in an all-time way heading into Saturday. But there are fights, at least in my mind, and then there is this fight. So from a broadcasting perspective, and the man is going to be calling the action, where would you place this one on your anticipated main event list in your career, John? Well, I sort of would reciprocally say to myself, what fights can I put above it? And as great as like Adesanya Whitaker was in front of 60,000 people, it might be online with it, but I don't know that I can put that fight above Khabib Gaethje. Certainly most would argue the biggest fight I've ever called is Khabib versus Connor. And then when I had to call a brawl thereafter, I think that one will always be hard to top. I think Rose Namajunas' finish of Yolanda Yochichek will probably be the craziest championship fight I ever called, given that circumstance of their first meeting. But this is huge. I mean, when I say on broadcast, have you ever seen anything like Justin Gaethje? I think most people say, no, I really have not. So he is truly a special guy looking to break through and do what obviously no man before him has been able to do. And, and what else can you say about Khabib Nurmagomedov? And, and much has been made of, of him losing his father, Abdulmanov, and rightfully so. And by the time we get to our fighter meeting with Khabib today, he has been asked every question in the book. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out a thoughtful way to ask Habib and Justin questions. And I did ask Habib today if he talked to his father about Justin Gaethje as a potential opponent. And because of Islam Makhachev's presence in this lightweight division, oftentimes when they would talk about elite lightweights, Abdulmanap and Khabib, they would talk about the fighters as either a possible future fight for Islam or a future fight for Khabib. So when they used to talk about Gaethje, they talked a bit about him more in the context of a possible opponent for Islam Makhachev back in the day. But you can be sure the challenge of Justin Gaethje has brought Khabib's excitement to the surface. He is very excited to fight this man because a lot of people think Justin's alive under them. I would agree because I've been asking a lot of fighters their predictions on this fight over the last few weeks. And more than any Habib fight before, a lot of them are going with Gaethje to become the one in 28 and one and do what no man has done before. And, you know, you mentioned the Connor fight because, I mean, the fight with Connor, because of the build more than anything, was just so massive. It like took on a life of its own. It was clearly the biggest fight of all time in terms of build and how personal it got and everybody's eyes are upon it. So I'm curious, on paper, John, is Habib versus Gaethje, from a competitive standpoint, is this the greatest lightweight title fight of all time on paper? Maybe not the biggest, because Conor, obviously, you know, biggest star of all time, but competitively, X's and O's, is this the greatest 155-pound title fight of all time? I think you can certainly make that argument, and I know sometimes when we speak in GOAT or best ever, pound for pound, it gets lost on some fans, but I don't think you're overstating that. And you can't lose sight of Gaethje's body of work outside the UFC when you talk about his lightweight greatness. You know, he did defend a major belt five times. 
And I also believe that it was the number one skill you probably need to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov. Defense, right? The ability to keep him off of your leg and get up when he puts you down. And of all the people Khabib has fought, and of all the elite lightweights on paper, who is the lightweight best equipped to get up? I mean, Tony Ferguson is outstanding fighting off of his back, doesn't mind hanging out on the bottom. But if you had to pick one lightweight who you think has the skill set, who is best equipped to get the F up after repeatedly being taken down, I think Gaethje might be the best option. So that has me excited. And obviously there's no denying the body of work that these two men have put on paper. When you add in the COVID-19 flight island backdrop, the Adulnop story, the fact that Gaethje's parents were able to charter over here with him. There's so many different storylines. I feel like we're, we're already chasing the clock on broadcast. I'm pretty damn excited. What, what really sticks out about this fight to me is it seems like Gaethje, although, I mean, he, he looks at things differently than a lot of other people do, especially fighters. And it seems like, at least to me, like all the pressure is on Habib here and very little is on Justin. And I know Justin is a bit hard on himself and he could be his own worst critic, but like a lot of us like hope for the best and like expect the worst. Like he looks for the best and like knows the worst is coming. Like that's the way he prepares. Like it really is fascinating to listen to him speak in that way. Do you feel like in a way he has everything to gain and little to lose on Saturday? And if so, how much of a factor could that be in determining how this, the outcome of this fight? Well, it's, you set it up well. He certainly doesn't see it as having little to lose, of course. And I know you know that. But you are right that he seems unusually immune to pressure. If you were to hook me up to a heart monitor before this interview and him up to a heart monitor getting ready to fight Khabib, I might have more anxiety to chop it up with you than he does to go fight. I'm telling you, bro, he is so comfortable, not just in the chaos, but in combat and in walking out there. And he's never been intimidated in a wrestling setting. So if you think he's intimidated by Habib's MMA wrestling, you just haven't been paying attention. So certainly the pressure resides firmly with the man who is 28 and 0. I do believe Habib, though, thrives off of that pressure. And I think the more pressure that is on him, the better he has performed. His performances really have gotten progressively better. You can call the Iaquinta fight an outlier. It was a short notice, weird situation. Um, but it's it's a fascinating matchup. And, uh, you know, I, I, I understand where Justin Gaethje is from a betting perspective. And uh, I'll just say, man, I think that two-fight losing streak was the best thing that could have happened to a then 20 and 0 Justin Gaethje. And uh, I just think mentally, physically, emotionally, he couldn't possibly be in a better space. I mean, confidence is literally dripping out of his every pore. So I'm excited as I was with Poirier last year to see what Gaethje can do with the opportunity. As a broadcaster, I mean, you've seen fighters come and go announce their retirements in the, in the octagon. And we know Habib's days are, are are numbered, and it's in his own way. Like he wanted, to, he's been saying it for years. I want to get to 30 and 0, and then and then move on. And you've seen, you know, a, a broadcast colleague of yours, Daniel Cormier, called a career and 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 wish the sport adieu from from that aspect. But do you look at these Habib fights now, especially heading into Saturday, and think, man, like I need to soak this all in because the door is closing. We may be looking at the greatest to ever step into the octagon. Absolutely. I'd be very surprised to see him fight more than 31 times professionally, right? Which would give him three fights remaining. And when you look at Henry Cejudo, 
Screw the division champion, defended the belt in both divisions, and walked away. There was no legacy building that was going to happen thereafter. Certainly, he could come back and fight Alexander Volkanovsky, and that would be something that he hasn't accomplished. But for Henry Cejudo, there was only going to be staining the legacy if he stuck around at 35. One more title defense or two more title defenses, I don't know that it was going to bolster his greatness. And for Daniel Cormier, my buddy, you know, you think he likes looking at his Wikipedia page with those two red stripes against Steve Bamich? He does not. So for Khabib, I don't know that there's all that much more to accomplish. Certainly you can say, man, he hasn't defended the title too many times. This is only, I think, maybe defense number three. But I think for Khabib, the power of that O in modern-day mixed martial arts is such that to walk away 30-0 and 0 with a handful of defenses in what is ubiquitously regarded as the toughest UFC division and to leave as the consensus number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world, even if he's not the GOAT, he is the consensus most dominant fighter in the world. And I think right now for, for Khabib, that would be enough to, to walk away for good. It's a massive fight. I cannot wait for it. But before that happens, a- another fight that's kind of flying under the radar is the co-main event. Big one at 185 pounds between Robert Whitaker, the former champion, taking on Jared Cannonier, the up-and-comer. Israel Adesanya has spoken Cannonier's name many times, says he's the dark horse of the division, and with the victory, could earn himself a title shot. So... I mean, this is a fun fight, and, and it's not getting the love and attention it deserves. I understand why, but I feel like this this could potentially steal the show on Saturday. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. It's the first three-round fight for Robert Whitaker in four years or so, and you can be sure he is very excited about that reality to really let it rip for 15 minutes. But we had very insightful meetings with both athletes today. I'm not sure that Robert Whitaker mentally and emotionally has ever been in a better place, right? Answered the naysayers and the critics with a huge win over Darren Till less than three months ago here on Fight Island. And I think that just has given him a lot of confidence that he went a hard 25 minutes, lost the first round, and then came back strong to win the final four, essentially. On the other side, Jair Cannonier is a very layered individual. He's a spiritual guy. And even though it took him a while, Mike, to find his best MMA division, I'm not sure if he had been a middleweight, you know, 33, 34 years old, if he would have been an elite middleweight. I think this opportunity is happening at the perfect time for Jared Cannonier, And he just can't even... As much respect as he has for Whitaker, it's like losing is just not a part of his mentality. I mean, confidence was just dripping out of both guys, and uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out. It's a pick em fight. Obviously, it's a title eliminator, um, but again, there was nothing from either side that gave you a hint that they weren't in, in the optimal headspace heading into this co-main event. I know you're not a, a matchmaker, John, and you know you call the fights and you, and you do the damn thing in, in that sense, but... This is an interesting fight for a number of reasons. One, because if Cannonier wins, seems obvious he's going up there and fighting Adesanya for the middleweight title and the division can move on. Of course, we've seen Adesanya and John Jones go back and forth on social media. So there's a lot of people that say, well, if Robert Whitaker beats Jared Cannonier, it's hard to really justify him getting right back to a title shot since Adesanya just finished him like a year ago. So the UFC doesn't really go back to the well that that often. So do you think like it, it, Adesanya's next move all depends on what happens here? Like if, if Cannonier wins, we have it set at 85. But if Whitaker wins, could we see Adesanya jump up to 205 and fight a fight a Blahovich for the title or maybe? Maybe even maybe even they pull the trigger on the Jones fight as quickly as as you know early 2021. 
Well, certainly there is a promotional appetite for the fight between Israel Adesanya and John Jones. I don't think you'll see Izzy fight Jan Blachowicz anytime soon. It'll be interesting to see if Adesanya wants to maintain this beastly schedule, because if he does and Jared Cannonier wins the fight, you got to think he'll put the middleweight belt on the line within the next four or five months or so. But as far as Robert Whitaker is concerned, right, it's all in front of him. If he beats Darren Till and then follows that up with a win over Jared Cannonier, who's all the rage right now, I think he would be hard to deny a rematch, despite the fact that their first fight was clearly one-sided. I think Robert Whitaker, despite some of the health issues, has established enough promotional goodwill that he might get another championship shot against Adesanya sooner rather than later. But yeah, Jones is lurking. It seems like there's a weight separation between those two guys right now, and they'd have to kind of figure out how they wanted to approach that. You know, does Jones want to cut down to 205 for a non-title fight? You know, is Izzy going to be weighing in at 193 for a catchweight fight at 210? You know, so there are a lot of different things that would need to be worked out. But, you know, I know Lorenzo Fertitta would always say you got to strike while the iron is hot. And uh, I think when Adesanya and Jones want to fight each other, uh, you got to figure out a way to try to make that happen. Certainly fans would be on board. Yes. And I think uh, another fight on this main card, everyone's excited about the rematch between Ankalaev and, and Kutalaba. Finally, it appears, knocking on wood, putting out that positive juju that this fight is actually going to happen on Saturday. We've tried a bunch of times and it just hasn't fall, just hasn't happened to this point. But you've given me a lot of time here, John. I appreciate it. But I have to know, I, I love the main event and I love the co-main event. But you know me, I am an under the radar guy. I am a guy that wants to give love to all of these fights. But and I know it's hard for you to pick and hard to justify this. But as a broadcaster, when you look at this card, especially at the prelims, what fight stands out to you? That's like, hmm, this is going to be really, really good. Well, I don't want to jinx it, but I don't know how Casey Kenny and Nathaniel Wood could not just be nonstop action. And you can also add to that that it's a catch weight at 140 pounds, right? So they're not cutting any extra weight. So I think that fight has fire written all over it. And really curious to see if Casey Kenny has bit off more than he can chew going home for 12 days and then coming right back to Fight Island to try to compete again. I did mention Miranda Maverick. I'm very excited to see her compete. But you mentioned the rematch between Magomed Ankalaev and Iwan Kutelabe. And real quick, think about how much divisionally things have changed. Their first meeting came two weeks after Jan Blachowicz knocked out Corey Anderson. So for Ankalaev, even though this delay since February has been less than ideal, if you think he's closer to title contention, now the division's wide open. So for both of these guys, and particularly who wins, because they're going to win by knockout, Mike, let's be off, off, honest, right? I mean, whoever wins is like probably going to get a finish. And now there's just much more divisional traction at 205 pounds. There's so many different opportunities in front of these contenders in the top 15, top 18. So I just think that fight obviously has the the first meeting behind it, but I just think now divisionally it's it's a more relevant fight than it was back then. I agree. And then uh, last thing before we go, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this. The great Doc Emmerich has has called it a career. The, the greatest hockey voice of all time. And I know we've, we're Bruins fans. We watch the local networks. Fred Cusick screaming, goal, and going crazy. It always sticks out to my mind. But Doc Emmerich, one of the, just one of the best to ever do it. He makes every hockey game just more exciting, more valuable, even if you're not a fan of the teams playing. But what kind of impact did Doc have on your career and what kinds of lessons did you learn from him? And how did you react to finding out that he was closing the door? 
you know, you give me chills, just give me the chance to talk about other play-by-play guys like Doc, because even though hockey was sort of a distant fourth for me growing up, I remember the first time I listened to Doc Emmer call a hockey game, and I was like, well, I guess I'm never doing hockey, right? Because not only could I not get to his level, if he's a 10, I don't think I could get to a two with that sport and all that he was able to bring to the table just so seamlessly. And I think for a lot of us play-by-play guys in this COVID-19 climate, we thought about what it would be like to call sporting events from our living room. And if any play-by-play guy deserves to have a studio set up at his house, it was Doc Emmerich. And the fact that he was calling the Stanley Cup final in what amounted to his final season from his living room and did not miss a beat, I think is just another token of his greatness. But no, he's just so smooth and it's never about him. And he's always trying to make his analysts shine and he lets the action breathe. I mean, so many things fundamentally that are part of my style. Uh, I grab from different guys like Doc Emmerich. So anytime these guys step away, it kind of hits me hard. And when you see a guy like Doc Emmerich that looks 54 and is 74, uh, it goes pretty quickly. So uh, I'm trying to enjoy the ride knowing that assuredly I will not last into my 70s as a play-by-play man, I can guarantee you. <laughs> Well said, John. I appreciate the time very much. Looking forward to the call on Saturday. And a couple more sleeps, man. A couple more sleeps. Let's go, Michael. Three more sleeps. Always good to to chop it up with you and see Casey. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Thank you guys for having me. I could just talk to that guy for 14 hours straight. John Anik, he'll be calling the action this Saturday at UFC 254. And really looking forward to this event. And we're going to continue talking about this event because one of the fights that John will be calling will take place in the women's 125-pound division on the main card. Lauren Murphy no longer fighting Cynthia Calvillo. And here's the thing, okay? She could have understandably said, you know what? I'll wait a few weeks, a month, I'll stay local, and I'll fight Cynthia down the line because it's a positive COVID test, it's not a a broken leg or anything, and because the stakes are what they were, she she could wait and and take that fight. Instead, she says, no, keep me on the card, I don't give a damn who the opponent is, and that opponent, newcomer Lilia Shakarova, eight and one, three fight winning streak, Really, really tough wrestler and and a really tough test on short notice, especially considering where Lauren Murphy stands in this division. But I caught up with Lauren while she was on Fight Island. Here she is right now on What the Heck. All right, we have Lauren Murphy joining us all the way from Abu Dhabi right now. She'll be competing this Saturday night at UFC 254. No longer against Cynthia Calvillo, but she will face newcomer Lilia Shakarova. Lauren, it has been a minute. I believe January was the last time we spoke. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> but I'm doing great, man. Things have been 
fucking groovy since then. I was going to say, I mean, you look like you're at a dome right now. It looks absolutely unbelievable. And uh, first things first, how did you enjoy the uh, the lavish and luxurious flight to Abu Dhabi? Man, I don't know if I'll ever fly any other way than business class ever again. It was it was really nice. You know, I got to stretch out, lay down, take a nap. The food was good. We watched like four different movies. Uh, Joe and I played a bunch of games. We played like Battleship together. I, I killed him. I, I won every game. You sunk his Battleship? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. We had a really good time, you know, and there's there's no layover. It was a direct flight. So, um, yeah, the hardest part so far has been adjusting to the time zone. As you know, I was asleep uh, for our original <laughs> interview. So, but that's, that's just... Um, even that for us is going to be easier on this card than it was for anybody else. So yeah, hundred percent because everyone had to basically sleep all day and then stay up all night just to adjust to the time. You're basically on Abu Dhabi time the entire time. How much you think, how much of an advantage is that for you opposed to like some of the other fighters? I know some of the international fighters, maybe like an hour or two difference. So it didn't really affect them too much, but still for them, it's like fighting at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just just crazy. So it, it was um, I don't even want to think about it, really, because we did try to plan for it a little bit like like months ago before we knew what time the card was going to be on. Um, we knew that oh, the other cards had been on at really crazy times. And so I was like, OK, like I have a really good SNC coach, Andy Galpin. He's a genius. So he had a plan for me about when to be awake, when to go to sleep. He uh, he was in Brian Ortega's corner this weekend, too. So um, that guy knows what he's doing. And I felt confident, like, having him plan for me. But I was pretty relieved to find out we could just get on Abu Dhabi time and call it call it good. I'm pretty excited just to have, like, a 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time main card start. I mean, this is like it's a, it's heaven for me, especially after covering all these events. This is like, I think it's like 15, 16, probably more weeks in a row where everything's like, all right, please have an, uh, like a 4 p.m. prelim start time. This one's at 10, 15 in the morning. I'm so pumped. Dude, I actually really like that. We've been on a couple cards where we fought in the morning. Like, I fought Liz Carmouche at, like, 11 a.m. Um, we fought Mara Barella, I think, at, like, 1 p.m. So it's like you have to get up pretty early. You get your shakeout in. You got to get breakfast, um, possibly get your hair braided. For me, that takes about an hour. Um, um, you have to be down in the lobby, like, three hours, usually before your fight time so that you can get over to the arena. You know what I mean? You have to get tested. Like, all, all kinds of stuff happens on fight day. So when we fought Liz Carmouche, we literally like had to get up early in the morning. Everything was rushed. But yeah, I like watching cards early in the morning. I love getting up, having some coffee, watching some fights. That's the best. But fighting on those early cards can be a bit of a, a challenge sometimes. I bet. So. so before you were inserted into the lap of luxury, Lauren, ESPN's <laughs> Brett Okamoto reported that Cynthia Calvillo tested positive for COVID-19. We since confirmed that and that you were staying on the, the card to to fight Lilia. First off, when did you know that Cynthia was out of the fight? The day of the day that she tested positive, Mick called me. And anytime the matchmaker calls you during fight week or really anytime they call you during your fight camp, it's probably not great news. You know, probably something has happened to your opponent or on the fight card or, or something. You know, they don't generally call you with great news like during those times. And so he called us while we were in Vegas. And as soon as I saw his name pop up on my caller ID, I was like, oh, no. 
And um, sure enough, he, you know, he told us that Cynthia tested positive and it was a bummer, but also we kind of knew that anything could happen. Like it was like, okay, she might test positive. I might test positive. Our corner, like my corner could test positive. I might have to go to fight Island by myself. Um, Same thing could happen to her. Like any fucking thing could happen. And so we just really had to be kind of prepared for it. So when he told me that Cynthia tested positive, it was a bummer, but it was also like, okay, what's now what? Like, what's the next step? What are we going to do? So he found a replacement pretty quick. And then the replacement also tested positive for COVID. Uh, so we were like, shit, like now what? He's, Mick was really working his ass off to find somebody, but he did. He found a, a girl. I don't know too, too much about her, but um, she is uh, she's a lifelong wrestler, I believe. She's eight and one. She's a champion in an outside promotion. So um, I'm happy to still be facing a grappler. You know, we don't have to completely change everything about the game plan. I'm happy uh, to have a tough opponent. And, um, yeah, I'm just super thankful to be here. Like, I literally told Mick I'll fight anybody. Just get me on the fucking plane. I'll fight anybody. I, like, asked for, for Hazmat Chimeyev. I was like, I'll fight him. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because I mean, I was wondering if there's any thought of, of saying, which would be completely understandable. Like, you know what? She got COVID. It's not like she broke her leg. She's not going to be out for six months. Like Cynthia will be back in a few weeks, maybe a month. Like we could do this in Vegas before the end of the year. Let's do that. Or you were just like, nope, I don't care who it is. Give me anybody. I'm staying on this card and fighting in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I told him that. And I said, if I win, then I'll fight Cynthia in a couple weeks, too. And he was like, that's badass. OK. <laughs> <laughs> So as all of this is happening and you're trying to learn more about your new opponent, you're flying uh, across the world. There's another fight happening in, in your division between Caitlin Chukagian, a former opponent of yours, and Jessica Andrade, who jumps up to 125 after losing to Rose Namajunas. Before we get into the aftermath of all of this, what did you think of that fight even being booked and Jessica being bumped up and in her first fight fighting the number one ranked 25er outside of the champion? I think it makes sense because she she is a former champion at 115, you know, and she is a high performing athlete. She has a lot of finishes. She's exciting to watch. Um, she has a huge fan base and, and she was a former champion. So it's um, like it's it's like she deserves it. And there's not really any way I can argue with that. You know, it's a it, I would I would be lying if I said it didn't kind of annoy me because I really want that number one contender spot. But I also can't argue with, you know, what it what are they going to do? Give her some, you know, unranked person in the division. Like that would be doing a disservice to both of those fighters, you know? So it makes, it makes sense. Um, I thought, I honestly thought Chukagian was going to win that fight because she's so long and so good at keeping her distance, you know? And so I wasn't sweating it too bad. And then we woke up in the middle of the night here and found out that, um, Andrade had gotten a first round TKO. And I was like, <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's that is pretty badass, but you know that it's one fight in the division. She has one win in the division. So, um, you know, you can bring up all the one fifteeners you want. The fact still remains I, I'm on a win streak right now. I have four wins in this division, which I believe is as many as the current champion, I think. And I have fought all ranked opponents in this division. Since the day this division was created, every opponent that I have had has been ranked. And um you know, except for the one I'm fighting this week who I took on short notice. I took a huge risk coming here to fight her. Like if she wins this fight, like that's a huge blow to me, obviously. So I took a big risk coming out here being so highly ranked. I could have easily said like, no, I'm, you know, I'm in a good spot. I just want to stay in a good spot. But, um, anyway, uh, 
I forget where I was going with that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so you find you're basically you find out that Andrade finishes the fight early, and and I thought the same thing. Like we had our preview show. I'm like, listen, eight inch, like Kijukagan is eight inches taller than her. There's no way she will let Andrade get inside of her. I'm like, in the third round, she's eventually gonna get her hands on her. So I think Kijukagan could just ride it out in the third round. And then sure. t- five seconds into the fight, Andrade already had her up against the fence. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is going to be a long night for Kaylin Chukagan. So she puts her away and immediately. And I asked the question and every other journalist in the sport asked the same question. Did she just screw up everything? Did she just jump the queue and become the number one contender in this division before Shevchenko fights Jennifer Maya? You do not take kindly to these questions, and I can completely understand why. You hate Twitter anyways. Was Saturday night and on, uh, probably Sunday morning where you're at, was that just like the worst Twitter experience considering you're in a very important yeah. fight? <laughs> it's definitely not the worst that I've had on that cesspool of a fucking website. But, um, <laughs> but it was so different because like on Twitter – um, people like some guy wrote to me just calling me a piece of shit and a terrible fighter. Like people are telling me I'm stupid, that I'm no good. And then I get on Instagram and people are like sharing videos with me. And like, they're telling, they're telling me that they want to see me fight for the title and that I deserve it. And they agree with my tweets. And like, it's just such a different culture on Twitter. It's just so hateful sometimes, but, um, yeah, I, I stand by everything that I said, you know, there was five seconds left in that round. I, Caitlin did turtle up. Okay, Caitlin did turtle up, but sometimes they let dudes get beat to death in that octagon before they stop it. You know what I mean? So um, she's, you know, Caitlin's a title contender and Jessica Andrade's former champion. Let him fucking fight. It was almost the end of the round. Caitlin was getting up as the ref stopped it. You know, she she tried to stand up immediately. So I I don't know. I can kind of see it both ways. She got dropped with that body shot and she turtled up. And and that does signal to the ref that you're done. but yeah, I mean, props to Andrade. It's not that Andrade is bad or that she doesn't deserve a title shot. It's just that she doesn't deserve the next title shot. Yeah, and that was kind of the thing I mentioned on our matchmaking podcast. I was like, listen, I have no clue how this is going to work out. Like, normally, like, I have my finger on the pulse, and I'm like, all right, this person's going to fight this person. But with this situation, I have no idea how it's going to play out. Like, a combination between you, Jessica, and Cynthia, that should be the next fight. And then we still have to wait for Valentina to fight Jennifer Maya, and especially in 2020, we don't know what the hell's going to happen. So... <laughs> <laughs> be prepared for anything I, you know if i had my way um which means jack shit but if i had my way um if i win this fight this weekend then i want the winner of maya and shevchenko and you can match up Andrade and cynthia and that's a great matchup because they're two 115ers that came up had good performances in their 125 debut yet they only have one win in the division okay and cynthia beat jessica i which a ton of people have done right um, Jessica and Draj had an impressive performance, but let them duke it out to see who the number one contender is between them. D- Jessica and Draj is one and two in her last three. You know, Cynthia Cavillo is one, one and one in her last three. I'm fucking three and oh in my last three with a knockout finish, you know, and we'll see how this weekend goes. But I'm I'm going into it very confident and I'm going to into it expecting to win, of course, just like I do every fight. And so to continuously overlook me in these situations, I think is um, it's a big mistake. Do you kind of like that in a way? Does it give you a chip on your shoulder? Do you do you kind of like just fluttering under the radar? Because eventually that's all going to go away. and You're going to be right there if you keep on this track right now, like the under the radar stuff goes away. Are you OK with that? Yeah, I feel like that's kind of been my whole career. Like, I've been the underdog my whole career. People have underestimated me my entire career. Like, my entire career, even in Alaska, 
Um, I fought the toughest girls in Alaska. And I remember like people always counting me out in Alaska and how my team that was around me was like, just, just wait, you're going to know. And then I won every fight that I ever fought in Alaska. Um, same thing in Invicta, you know, I moved up the ranks so quickly and people just weren't expecting it. Like nobody expected me to beat Caitlin Young on short notice. Nobody expected me to beat Sarah D'Alelio because she was in the top 10 and nobody expected me to beat Miriam Nakamoto because she was such an accomplished Muay Thai champion, you know? And I think it's kind of been that way in the UFC as well. But, you know, I, I struggled a little bit when I first got into the UFC um, add some really close losses. I had kind of some boring fights. Um, I had a lot of stuff going on and, uh, I've really made a lot of adjustments and I've worked really hard and I'm not struggling now. I was going to say, and I, and I told you this the last time we spoke, it was like talking to a completely different person because, you know, it was January the last time we spoke and what it's in October now. So nine months, I think that's the longest we've gone without having an interview ever and like in the last yeah. like six years like normally it was like once a month we'd get you on to do something fight picks or anything at this point but yeah and you're just a completely different part like you, you just you still have like that same little bit of sass to you but you just seem happier like you could just see it in your expression yeah i'm a lot happier um i got my confidence back i think i just had to go through some growing pains where i felt very unconfident um for several years really I felt like I wasn't good enough to be here I kind of had like imposter syndrome a little bit I was really really overtrained. I think that contributed to a lot so I was having shitty practices um I yeah I just I just had really a lot of stuff going on and, and those are kind of it, it caused some failures I think in my career but you can't be successful without failure you just can't period there's no way to be successful without also having failure so um I had to go through those growing pains and I had to figure out who I am as an athlete too. Like I had to test the waters about what it means to be um, confident versus arrogant. Like, am I a shit talker or am I, or am I a humble person? And so I kind of, you know, for a while, my attitude was like, well, in Invicta, I was humble all the time and didn't say anything shitty about anybody. And it didn't really fucking get me anywhere. Like still nobody respected me. So I guess I'm going to start talking shit to everybody and running my mouth. And I, I, I didn't really like being that person to that extent either, you know? So it, it took me a while to kind of find a balance where I could be a little bit sassy and confident, but, you know, also not get this attitude that's, you know, turning people off all the time. So I think it just took me a while as an athlete. And you have to keep in mind, too, that I had not been an athlete very long when I got into the UFC, you know? When I started fighting for Invicta, I'd been an athlete for three fucking years total, like an athlete not an mma athlete an athlete like started playing sports three years ago and now i'm in invicta and then a year later i was in the ufc facing olympians and title contenders and everything else it just took a while for me to kind of sort it all out mentally and physically and and once i found the right team the team that i'm with now and have been with for about about a uh, little more than a year now i think yeah i've been out you know, I've been with this team a little more than a year now. Things really, really, really started falling into place for me. And I've got some really good examples around me. Um, I've got some really cool level heads around me and, and just a great team that believes in me and loves me. And it has made all the difference in my attitude, in my mental state, in my training, everything. Would you do it all over again the same way? Or would you stay with the team and stay in Houston the entire time if you could do it all over again? That's a hard one because some days I feel like, fuck, you know, I was really in a bad spot during the prime of my career. 
And that is kind of a hard pill to swallow to think that maybe those tough fights that I had and those tough losses, maybe I could have won those if I had been with the team that I'm with now. But I also had some growing up that I had to do, you know, and I was able to do that at the lab. And I really had to figure out who I was as an athlete and um, go through those growing pains. And if I had gone through that in Houston, maybe I wouldn't be on the team that I have now. You know, maybe I would have, you know, um, driven the coaches that I have now away or maybe I wouldn't have um, ha maybe they would have driven me away like it, you know, anything could have happened. So. I really believe now the team that I'm with, I appreciate them so much and I respect them so much because of the experiences that I've had that, um, that it just has to be better this way. I'm one of those, I believe everything happens for a reason. I, I think the universe is in on it. I think the universe loves me and wants the best for me. And um, yeah, so I think it's all working out the way it's supposed to. Every once in a while, I'll get a little tinge of like, no, I never should have done that. But the, <laughs> You know? <laughs> we all do that. I think we all do that. Like, you know, even I have those conversations with myself all the time. I'm like, man, I wish I like did the MMA full time thing like five years ago when I wanted to. And I just didn't have the balls to do it. Like, I really mm -hmm. wish I did. Like, we're, it would be like in a completely different place now. It's just it's just wild to even think about. But, you know, yeah. you're about to fight a, a very tough newcomer on a three fight winning streak in her first UFC fight. She's eight and one as a pro. I know you don't know a whole lot about Lil Lilia, but. What have you been able to learn about her? Have you watched, been able to watch any fights or film or anything like that? A little bit, but she hasn't fought in a year. So that's another like thing that kind of makes me nervous because it's like, well, who knows what she's been doing for the last year? Could be, you know, could be she's just been in the gym eight hours a day fucking improving, you know? <laughs> so I, I watched uh, her latest, her last fight that she had and a few others. I can tell she's a very, very good wrestler. Um, somebody told me she's a lifelong wrestler. Somebody commented on my Instagram that she's like the best wrestler from Uzbekistan. So, I mean, that can't be a fucking joke. You know what I mean? It's like, that's a good grappler. Um, she's fast. I saw that too. She likes to throw spinning shit and she does it pretty quickly. So I'm going to have to keep my hands up for sure. And, uh, yeah, it's it's going to take, I think, a few minutes, but I have a really good coach uh, in my corner named Alex Cisne, and I'm just going to rely on him to figure her out, and then he's going to tell me what to do, and that's basically the way we're going to have to do this. Like, not really much of a game plan going into the fight. I'm just relying on him to be to be the brains of this operation. <laughs> Still on the main <laughs> card, despite the switch out. You must have been pretty pumped to see that, right? Yes, that was one of the first things I asked Mick, too. He was talking about replacements, and I was like, oh, my God, well, I'll fight anybody. But can we still on the same – can we be on the main card, please? And he went, that's a good question. He was like, that's a Dana. That's a Dana question. I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, we'll just – you know, we'll wait to see. And I just kept, kind of kept my fingers crossed. And when we landed in Abu Dhabi, um, John Anik was on the bus. And so I started pumping him for info. <laughs> I said, John, do you know what the main card looks like? Am I still on it? And he said, well, it looks like it. Things are always subject to change, but it looks like you are. So cool, man. Awesome. Classic John Anik answer right there. I think so, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not. He's, I'm going to be noncommittal here. I'm a company guy. Yeah. I love that guy. You're also, um, I find this interesting, too. You're on the main card, with good with buddy, Mr. Jared Cannonier. Both of you are fighting for a chance at potentially fighting for a world title in the next fight. Like, it comes full circle sometimes in this wacky sport of ours, and here we are. How cool is that being in this position with Jared as he gets ready to fight Robert Whitaker in the co-main event of this freaking thing? Oh, my. It's It really gives me the chills when I think about it. So I'm going to tell you a little story. This is crazy. So my lucky number is seven, of course, lucky number seven. And this is Fight Island number seven. 
And Jared's number is number nine for, I don't know what his reason is, but that's his lucky number. And there's a picture of us from years and years ago in Alaska at the Alaska Fighting Championship. Joe, Jared, and I, and we're all together. And uh, we were talking about that particular picture and we were like, dude, we should make one of those, like how it started, how it's going <laughs> things, you know, with us at the AFC and now us on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi with the UFC fighting for contendership. And that picture popped up on our memories as the most liked picture exactly nine years ago, the day we were talking about it. Wow. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So we did take another picture on the beach today of us, like, in the exact same pose. It's just, it's hysterical. It's it's awesome. And I, I couldn't be more proud, like, of him and more proud to know him and to be on this card with him. And by the way, he's going to starch Whitaker. And I, loved, I love Robert Whitaker, by the way. I'm a huge Whitaker fan, but Jared's going to knock him out. It's a huge. It'd be great. It'd be a huge thing. I mean, I'm really fascinated in that for the in that fight for a number of reasons. One, because I love the matchup. I think Cannonier is one of the most underrated guys on the roster right now. So getting this opportunity is long overdue for him. But two, like if Cannonier wins, we know where he's going. He's fighting Adesanya for the title. And if Whitaker wins, like what the hell does Adesanya do now? That so I mean, so much yeah. is going to come out of this event. And then after that, we had Habib versus Justin Gaethje. I have to know, how do you see that fight playing out? Justin's going to win. Like, I, I just feel it. I know it in my heart that Justin's going to win. I brought my Team Gaethje shirt from The Ultimate Fighter, and uh, I'm just trying to pick a good day to wear it, you know? Like, I, I really love Justin. I've seen, I've seen him around a couple times, and his energy is really good. Uh, I've met his parents several times, too, at a couple different events, and they're here. And uh, I, I, uh, I'm just very confident in Justin that he's going to win. I don't know, probably by knockout. And how do you get your your hand raised here and put yourself in a position to, to maybe fight the winner of Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Mai, which is coming up on November 21st? I don't know, but it's going to have to be something impressive, I think. You know, um, it's going to have to be something impressive. So I'm going to be in there looking for the finish the entire time. I, I think I. You know, I think I have to get a finish in this fight, and that's what I'm going to be looking for, and that's how I'm going to make a statement and, and, you know, show the world and the UFC that I am the true number one contender. Love to see it, Lauren. Love to hear it. Very excited we got to, we were able to do this again, especially with you being in Abu Dhabi. It's very difficult to get interviews like this lined up, but you texted me late last night, and I was like, let's do it. Let's do this thing. And then you fell asleep, but it's okay. This is like <laughs> the story of our of our interview-to-interviewee relationship over the years. <laughs> well, Joy. I had an interview with Mike Heck. I said, but he didn't text me and remind me. He knows better than that. I know. I screwed up, too. As soon as I saw your text, I'm like, oh, shit. I forgot who I was talking about. <laughs> I know. I know. And like, I am still kind of getting adjusted a little bit. We're mostly on Abu Dhabi time, but we all went to the beach today, too. So, actually, um, my coach fell asleep. I fell asleep. My nutritionist fell asleep. Like, we were all kind of crashed out today. But I'm getting, I'm getting used to this time zone and... I'll be ready to go at 10.30 p.m. on October 24th. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. 
This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it. There she is, Lauren Murphy on the program. She fights this Saturday at UFC 254, and real quick, I don't know, I'm feeling kind of like nostalgic today. Anyways, when I first got into this MMA thing, you know, I was doing radio, but I really enjoyed interviewing the fighters. So it was like a nice test. Like how many, how, how many Justin Bieber intros can I talk over and, and have fun with? Like really, like how many times can I do that? So I interviewed fighters, did the show, did podcasts. And Lauren was one of the first MMA interviews that I had. It was probably five, six years ago, maybe longer and I remember that first interview because her story is really incredible. Like the things that she's had to overcome to get to where she's at now. And it was just one of those conversations that has always stuck with me over the years. And I remember I would have some young up and coming reporters and journalists reach out to me saying, I'm trying to start a podcast, like trying to get fighters, like who should I get on? I would always say, get Lauren on because she's such a good interview. And she just tells it like it is. And whenever I had podcasts or things of that nature, I try to get on for everything, whether it be fight picks or, you know, just shooting the breeze about whatever, because she always delivered. And to see her kind of go through the beginning stages of her UFC career, she got the big fat hose job on a couple of decisions early on in her career. She would win some, then she would lose some. Then she would drop down to 25 and to see her make these changes and get her career back on track, getting very close to a, to a UFC title shot. I got to say, it's been pretty cool to watch. So glad to get her on the show this week for the first time. As we move ahead to our final guest, he's back on the program. He's back on Fight Island after his dominant win over Alatang Haley a couple of weeks ago. He fights Nathaniel Wood and a potential show stealer at a catchweight of 140 pounds this Saturday at UFC 254. Let us head back to Abu Dhabi, back to Fight Island, and say hello to Casey Kenny. All right, we have Casey Kenny joining us once again, and he's back in Abu Dhabi just like he had hoped. He's now fighting Nathaniel Wood at UFC 254 on Saturday. This is an on-to-the-next-one wildcard selection that came true. I'm very excited for this fight. Casey, how are you? I'm doing great. Just finishing up a workout. You know, I'm supposed to fight around uh, this time, maybe a little bit before on Saturday. So, uh, you know, try to keep the training around the same time as fight time and uh, just enjoying another fight week here in Fight Island. There you go, because you just fought on the island a couple weeks ago. You got a dominant win over Alatang Haley, and you were hoping to just stick around and, and fight the next week if you could. But now you get on this massive card in a, in a huge fight with a lot of potential to get in the top 15. Are you happy with the way things played out here? Yeah, of course. Uh, next weekend would have been great, but honestly, this is probably even better. I just wanted a super quick turnaround and... You know, three weeks apart is quick enough for me. And like you said, the massive card, the Habib Gaethje card, there's not a better card to be a part of really all year, I feel like. That performance a couple of weeks ago was just super impressive. You had a lot of people talking about it. You kicked him in every legal place that you could actually kick somebody in a fight. And he just kept like shaking his head and smiling at you. And he just kept coming forward and, and taking all the punishment. Like, I know you wanted to finish, but is this a performance that you graded highly for yourself? Yeah, I think uh, I knew I was capable of doing stuff like that. Really haven't got the, the matchups that let me do that. And, you know, I, I got to showcase, uh, you know, how dangerous and uh, devastating I can be in there. And, you know, I thought he was going to go away, but 
just to to do what I did for 15 minutes, you know, dominate somebody like that and, you know, keep doing what I was doing is, uh, you know, uh, a feat in itself. What do you think has more like staying power? Because I feel like even though, I mean, you had the, the quick finish of Smolka and, and people were buzzing about it, but I feel like you got a little more momentum off this win just getting a decision. And I know every fighter wants to go in there and punch, punch the clock real quick and get out, but which one do you think kind of caught people's attention more, the quick win over Smolka or 15 minutes of just pure domination like you had a couple weeks ago? I think this last one did, you know, as far as like the way my social media came about and just, uh, you know, the, the buzz that I've got around, uh, you know, coming back to a fight week and uh, making this quick turnaround um, is, you know, something that everybody want, wants to do, everybody thinks they want to do, and then until you actually do it, you know, there's only a handful of guys that will actually do it. So I think a little bit of both, you know, jumping out of the cage, demanding another fight, and then, you know, kind of it, it coming true. So uh and you know just the damage that i put upon alatang you know that's something that you got to respect you know no matter who you are and um, when you're watching that you know the fight fans even myself you know they want to see some damage done to somebody when you know a fight's happening and you know i thought smoko was a pretty flawless performance but this alatang one you know um it it really you know set set who i am i think you know in there like i'm gonna come to kick your ass for 15 minutes if you survive and you know, i've been saying that for a little while like if you fight me you know the way i want you to fight or just fight me and not try to hump my leg you know uh <laughs> you're gonna be you're gonna you're gonna go away or it's gonna be a hell of a fight so you fight on the saturday you get the win you fly home sunday and then we start to hear rumblings that this fight with Nathaniel Wood at UFC 254 is a thing. And unfortunately, I had to be that guy to kind of debunk those talks like hours later because I was told via both sides that nothing was to these rumblings at that time. Turned out a couple of days later, Penn goes to paper and the fight is signed at a catchweight 140 pounds. So from the time you started getting tagged on these Twitter posts that you're fighting at UFC 254 to the time Penn actually goes to paper, like when did you find out this was officially a thing? I knew about it before I left the island. I had said yes before I left the island. He was kind of shaky about it. Like, you know, that's why we're at 140. Uh, he wouldn't take the fight at 35. Uh, so it took a little bit, a few days to negotiate and actually get that pin on paper. But I got the text of, do you want this fight before I left the island? And I had the option to stay on the island too, but. 30 days on the island. Like, I like this place, but 30 days on the island is uh, a little much. You know, I wanted to go home, reset, get a, you know, quick little training camp in, make some adjustments. Uh, you know, not not a whole lot of stuff, really, but just kind of get back in the, the routine of training and, you know, do everything again. So uh, I knew right away the pen to paper didn't come a little bit later, and I think that was more on his side. So how did you react to getting Nathaniel? Because, I, I mean, this is picture-perfect matchmaking in my opinion because you guys are right on the cusp of the top 15 you of course would be returning to the rankings likely with the win here how did you react to seeing and, and finding out that nathaniel was was an option here i loved it uh, i knew i was going to probably meet somebody like that here soon especially you know after the smoke of fight putting on an almost flawless performance you know alatang putting on almost a flawless performance and you know i only got one blemish on my my record in the ufc so i knew somebody was gonna somebody good was gonna be coming especially in such a stacked division you know um, there's no easy fights from here on out and i don't want any easy fights 
a guy like Nathaniel Wood is somebody who's going to help elevate my game inside the, the octagon as well. You know, stuff that um, I, I know I'm capable of, but sometimes, you know, you need a dance, another dan- a certain dance partner in there to let things go. And, you know, as an artist, you know, actually put it on the canvas. You know, you got all these ideas in your head and things that you can do. But until, you know, you actually put it on the canvas there, you know, it's not really good. And uh, I think Nathaniel Wood's the dance partner. I need to really show my full game. You touched on it earlier, but this time around, I mean, you still have to mess with the sleep schedule a little bit, but not like completely like you did the last time because you're fighting on their local time, not ours. So it's not 3 a.m. or whatever when you actually walk to the octagon. Are Are you digging that part of this experience? Yeah, you know, when it was time, it was fight day, it was fight day. You know, I had a motto all week, just wake me up when it's time to whoop somebody's ass. And uh, this time it's a little bit better. You know, the fight day is going to be the same. You know, if you're not awake and you're for fight day, uh, you got some problems. But just the, the whole fight week itself, you know, I had to train at 3 or 4 a.m. every, you know, every morning. I didn't have to, but just kind of general stuff. You like to train around the same time that you're going to fight. So all fight week I was training at 3 or 4 a.m. I was trying to sleep, you know, 2, 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. type of thing, local time here. And, you know, you got housekeeping knocking on your doors. It's during the day. The sleep was a little off. Uh, this time... I hopped on a plane, you know, fell asleep and woke up and it was morning in Abu Dhabi and I've pretty much been on this schedule. So uh, this this one's been a little bit smoother. Do you sleep well the night before a fight or do you kind of have those feelings where you just you just can't wait? It's kind of like Christmas Eve almost. I sleep like a baby. Uh, you know, I get I normally get some you know, after weigh ins and uh, have some good food and that's some of my best sleep. Uh, when I first started, I, I had a little bit of uh, those jitters, like kid on Christmas. And normally, I mean, when I wake up that day, uh, it definitely feels like that. But the the sleep, you know, I don't miss any sleep for a fight. That's for sure. And also, now you don't have to cut those last five pounds, right? I mean, yeah, you wanted it at thirty five, but still, you, you'll take this, right? Right, of course. I, I told him we'd run it at fifty five if that was the case. <laughs> if weight if weight was the issue for him, I don't care what he weighs. Uh, you know, me just, uh, you know, when I say I'm ready for a short notice fight, I'm ready to fight. But also the other part of our profession is make the weight and the weight class that we are fighting in, um, whether it's 10 days notice against Smoka or, you know, three weeks notice. Um, he wanted to catch weight. No problem for me. Um, I just, you know, I wanted the 35 weight just because uh, it's what weight we fight at you know I, I was ready for to make weight again and do everything just like you're supposed to but it doesn't really matter to me like I said we could run it at any weight class uh, he's going to be the same guy in there did the did the last weight cut go well or was it kind of rough with everything going on the time change and all that stuff no it was good uh you know pretty much did exactly what I needed to do did the the food and everything I was supposed to the water cut went smooth you know, I've been cutting weight for a long time and uh, not sucking down to fly weight, but I still got a little bit of a weight cut to 35 these days. And, you know, I'm, I'm a professional at that as well. So, um, you know, the weight cut went nice and smooth. At least you don't have to do 25 anymore, right? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a thing in the past, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> so Nathaniel, obviously, he's been pretty solid in the UFC. He's 3-1. and one. The one loss was to John Dotson. He's got a couple of finishes. He's coming off a win against a short-notice opponent in his last fight, something that you're quite familiar with in your career. Have you been impressed with what Nathaniel has done to this point? He's solid. He's solid. He's well-rounded. 
Um, to say that I'm impressed, not really. You know, I think he's a very basic, well-rounded. You know, he's solid. He, he does things very well, but he does the basics very well. Um, unless he's got something up his sleeve, I don't know about. I feel like he showed most of his game. You know, inside the octagon. I feel like I'm just starting to show what I have, you know, in my bag of tricks and then in my toolbox for him. So uh, that's where I kind of touched on. Uh, sometimes you need a dance partner to let that go. And what I mean by that is like Alatang didn't really have an answer for what I was giving him. And in, in a fight like that, if it's not broke, you know, keep going to it. And uh, if you would have made some adjustments, I would have made some adjustments. And I think that's where this fight's going to go. You know, Woods uh, a little bit more uh, higher fight IQ. I don't think he's going to be able to stop what I what I have for him. But if he does make some adjustments in the fight, you know, I'm ready to make some more adjustments as well. And I think that's where my game's going to open up a lot. So I'm excited for this. So as we record this, it is Tuesday night where you're at. It's almost 10 p.m. Uh, local time there. And you guys both spoke with the media earlier today as we're doing this. And Nathaniel came on after you he said he feels like that your style is going to feed right into his he likes the fact that you're exciting that you bring the fight but one thing that he said that stuck out to me was he predicts that within two minutes of the fight you're going to be shooting for takedowns because you're not going to want to stay on the feet anymore what are your thoughts on those comments <laughs> i mean uh let him think that let him think that you know i, I have no problem standing and trading with somebody uh you know we'll see what happens but uh, if, if that's it, if that's the case, then uh, it looks like we may, we'll have a, another stand-up fight, and I, I'm ready for that too. So wherever the fight goes, I'm ready. Um, all I can do is laugh at that one. How do you see this all playing out Saturday? Right before, probably about four hours before Habib and Justin Gaethje make the walk and do the damn thing for the lightweight title. How do you get this thing done and maybe steal some steal some thunder from those guys? I think I put him away in, in one of the rounds. You know, I'm ready to go 15 minutes, ready to break him in the later rounds. I'll put him away early if I catch him on the feet. It, I think he's going to be the one shooting in. Uh, it sounds like we both think that, so I guess only time will tell. But if he shoots in, uh, he's in for a long night. So submission, TKO, KO, ground and pound, something. He's going away. A lot of movement going on at 135 right now. There's reports that popped up earlier today that Marlon Vera is going to fight Jose Aldo on November 21st. There's a lot of big fights in the top 15 set up already. I know you just fought like two weeks ago and you're back on the island, but I assume knowing you from all the conversation we had that if all goes well here, you're not going to want to wait much longer to do it again, right? No, I'm going to try to get one more in this year. Um, I've been, uh, well, Sterling and Jan are booked for December 12th. I may, may need a... I wouldn't need a few weeks, but wouldn't mind having another camp for, you know, the fight in December would be a perfect date. Uh, but really, they called me for that November 21st card as well. Uh, I'd be down. So I'm trying to get one more in this year. Um, at this point, I feel like I'm in a spot where I may jump into the rankings, but if not, just keep feeding me guys, keep feeding me guys, keep putting on good performances and, you know, gaining a fan base and, you know, I'll be in those rankings on my climbing that ladder soon enough. I was, yeah, I was looking at the rankings earlier. I'm like, all right, what, what happens if, if Casey wins? Like what, what would they do? Because I think you you might sneak into the 15 or just outside of it. And there is one guy sitting in the bottom half of that division that is looking for a fight right now. Rob Font's sitting at number 11 in the division and he's hoping to get in there by the end of the year. So I think time wise, I think things line up, but does that one stick out to you as like a sensical next step if all goes well on Saturday? 
Yeah, actually, when I broke into the top 15, that was a, a guy that I was kind of looking at, you know. Um, like you said, he's been in the top 15, top 10 for a long time. He's a veteran in the Bantamweight division. He's put some good guys away. Respect uh, Rob's font style, but that would be a great matchup for me. If he's looking for a dance partner on any of those dates, I'll be your guy. Love it, man. So I might as well ask you, and I'm not—I don't think I did, but if I did, I apologize. But I find it fascinating that maybe 90% of the fighters that I've asked this question to are rolling with the underdog here, Habib versus Gaethje. A lot of people think Gaethje's going to win. Do you do you agree with a lot of these folks, or do you think Habib's going to do it again? Man, <laughs> I like Gaethje. I like Habib, but I think Habib does what he normally does. You know. Um, just for the simple fact, he's not going to give Gaethje the style of fight that he's used to. And uh, it, I think that may throw him off a little bit. Not questioning Gaethje's, re- Gaethje's wrestling at all, but, you know, Habib is one of those guys that you know exactly what he's going to do and you can't stop it. And that's a, that's a dangerous man. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I, I really don't have a favorite in that one. I'm just going to be a fight fan and sit back and watch. But if I was a betting man, I'd put my money on Habib. Fair enough. And this is kind of an interesting card because there's a lot of uh, people with Arizona ties on this card. You're on it. Lauren Murphy's on it. I know she's a former teammate of yours. Jared Cannonier's on it. So it's got to be pretty cool. It's it's in a way it's it's almost like being in the gym, but it's almost like a reunion in some ways as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I got to see Lauren, uh, you know, Gagey's from Safford, Arizona. So, uh, Cannonier's, you know, I see him every day at practice and stuff. So uh it's just cool to be a part of that you know especially along with jared you know he's he takes out whitaker i think he's next in line to face uh adesanya so just sitting back and kind of watching how he does things and uh getting to be a part of that you know and i got another teammate here on uh fight island too you know i had kyler last time and yeah. we're rolling deep again this time so it's uh it's a cool feeling and uh i think we're gonna come out two and oh again what is um do you and jared talk about crystals a lot uh, I'm not quite into two crystals <laughs> like he is, and you know I'll listen. I'll listen to anybody. You know that's just uh, I haven't dug that deep yet. You know I got my own uh, my own thoughts that you know I think about, and uh, you know kind of like just you know jumping over the cage and asking for another fight. You know put that stuff out into the universe, and uh, it, it'll happen. But I don't go that deep. <laughs> oh, we're gonna jump out of the cage again if all goes well, and be like, give me give me December, give me November, whatever. Or have you already done yeah, that? Yeah, you know. Maybe I might have to jump out of the cage and challenge those full send guys to a, a drink off or something, and then we'll get back to fighting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to quote my colleague, Jose Youngs, my buddy, my pal, who has been in Abu Dhabi for over a month now, this fight rules between Casey Kenny and Nathaniel Wood. Such a good matchup, and it all goes down on Saturday in Abu Dhabi, UFC 254. I really can't wait for this event. I'm almost like I'm almost giddy about it. I'm just so excited. Like the main event is so good, and I know people look at the card and they they just want like 14 title fights on it, and they just want everything. Really look deep into these matchups because there's some really good ones. There really is. Like Wood versus Kenny is ridiculous. It is a ridiculous fight. Alex Oliveira's like I mean, there's just so many good fights. There's just so many good fights. I'm not gonna run down the whole lineup right now. You can do that for yourself, but trust me, this is gonna be a good card. And of course, we're gonna have all of your coverage the rest of the week. We've been all over it from the get-go here on MMA Fighting. And uh, quick programming note, because of 
things adhering to local time in Abu Dhabi. Things are a bit different this week with the schedule. Some changes, obviously. So there are some more scrums that probably are up on the YouTube page now as we speak with Trevor Whitman, the head coach for Justin Gaethje, Javier Mendez, coach for Habib Ramagamadov, Daniel Cormier, broadcaster. I believe John Anik's part of that as well and others. So go check those out i'm sure they're up there by now the weigh-ins okay now normally we would have the weigh-ins from 9 a.m to 11 a.m eastern standard time but again we're on local time so the weigh-ins are actually going to take place just hours from right now you're going to kick off at 1 a.m eastern time on friday morning 10 p.m pacific time thursday night so 1 to 3 a.m on the east coast 10 to midnight west coast and we'll have that for you and i'm gonna tell you this i'm planning on being there live with the prince of positivity alex k lee for the weigh-in show so we'll keep you posted on that and hopefully you guys can watch and grab some coffee do what you got to do to to stay awake and get some sleep later preview show will go down on friday afternoon and guess what we're gonna do it with all of you live how about that details to follow on that and of course saturday we'll be all over it I may be biased, but no one has done Fight Island like MMA Fighting has. We've done so many extra things that nobody else has been doing, and I just I couldn't be prouder of the squad, prouder of Jose, and everybody that's just contributing to, to this amazing coverage that we've had from Fight Island. With that said, buckle up, everybody. UFC 254 going down in a couple of sleeps, as the great John, John Anik says, my friends. We're out of here. Thank you all for watching and listening. Big thanks to Casey Lydon on the production side. And as always, have a heck of a week, everybody. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.